Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us slash sermons. We'd love to have you join us for a worship service this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road in Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. Good morning again. It's good to be back after a couple of weeks. Thank the uh, the guys that kind of worked together to fill in for me when I was uh, sick. And uh, last week when Ben spoke, and I uh, just... Uh, Thank you for those guys filling in for me. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to John, the Gospel of John. Before we look in the Word of God, we are going to pray together this morning, as we have done this year. And just uh, think of those folks that we we come across in our, our daily lives, the people that we care about greatly, that don't know the Lord. Or maybe those that we... Uh, Maybe they do know the Lord, but they're in a spiritual situation of carnality that we just want to pray for them. We want to see God do a work in their life. And as we look in the Gospel of John, as we start to look through this book, it's just a clear reminder, especially when we look at the first five verses this morning, of the absolute essentialness of Jesus Christ and all of those people that we know. So bow your heads this morning and just spend a few moments quietly praying for those that you love and care about that may not know Jesus. Lord, this morning as we look at your word, we look at this great gospel, and we look at just the first few verses here at the beginning, Lord, where you inspired the writer John to talk about your, you being God and creator and savior. And Lord, as we look out in this world today, we look out at those that we know, people that we're uh, friends with, we're related to, that don't know you, Lord, I pray this morning that we would see your Holy Spirit bring a revival Convict people of their sins, convict people of their need for you. And Lord Jesus Christ, that we would see many people come to know you. Lord, I pray for Cornerstone that we always preach this truth. In Jesus' name I pray this morning. Amen. Amen. As we look at the Gospel of John, and we look at just kind of starting to go through this particular Gospel, why this one and what is, why are there four of them? There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the story, really, of, of, of Jesus while he was here on earth to his crucifixion and his resurrection and ascension. And John is unique. The first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic Gospels, which is basically a phrase that means from the same eye or from the same perspective. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. John has some similarities with them, but he's a little bit different. In fact, the Gospel of Mark has 11,025 words in it. And of those 11,025 words in the Gospel of Mark, only 132 of them are not found in some capacity in either Matthew or Luke. In fact, 97% of Mark's Gospel is in Matthew, and 88% of Mark's Gospel is in Luke. They're very similar. They have a lot of the same stories, and not just that, a lot of the the sentences are exactly the same. If you're familiar at all with Greek, and you're going to... I'm not going to try and bore you too much with Greek this morning, but there's a little bit you got to know in John chapter 1. But if you're familiar at all, the word order, you can put the words wherever you want. It's not like English. And so the word order in a lot of Matthew, Mark, and Luke is very similar. Now, John has some aspects of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I mean, they're not totally different. They are both about the life of Jesus, but Mark is, or John is, is different. 
John doesn't have anything about the childhood, really, of, of Jesus. He doesn't have a lot of parables in it. There's no birth account at all. He adds Nicodemus in John chapter 3. There's a, a lot of his, what we call the Judean ministry. There's two times where he, he, he cleans out the, te- or the temple. There's the story of Lazarus. There's not much in John about the actual Lord's Supper, although in John chapter 13 and the, the last third of the book has a lot of the, the upper room discourse is what we call it. John is different. And most people believe John is different simply because John wrote his gospel much later. Matthew, Mark, and Luke had probably already been circulated around, and there are differences in those three gospels as to the target audience. But John came later. This may be one of the last books of the New Testament written. And so because of that, John does build off of what most people would have known with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but he includes a lot of other things. And John is probably the gospel that shows us more of the teachings of Jesus. In fact, for a lot of people, when when somebody is, is interested in the gospel, or maybe somebody professes faith in Jesus Christ, and their first question is, well, what should I read? You know, I want to know more about Jesus. Most of the time you say, well, go to the gospel of John. Start there. Because you'll learn so much about who he is. Now, John tells us why he wrote this book. In John chapter 20, verse 31, at the end of the book, he gives a verse that just states flat out why he wrote it. It says this, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so he tells us, this is why I wrote the book. And he gives us two things. I think I have them bolded. You can't tell, but they are. It says, uh, where he says, you may believe. The first thing he tells us, he wants us to believe. You read this book so that we may know there is something unique about this Jesus. There is nobody that has ever walked the face of the earth quite like him. And he says what he is, that he is the Christ, which is the Greek form of Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And not just that we believe this, but what the results are, that we may have life in him. The word life is a theme throughout the book of John. He uses it 54 times. It's the word zoe, which is a little different than bios, which it's about the spiritual life. He talks about having life and life more abundantly. It's not just that we have eternal life, but that when we come to know Christ as who he is, the Savior and Lord, from that point in our lives, we're different. We have life in his name. That you can't know and understand this world outside of knowing who Jesus is. That's why it's so important when we're praying, we look at lost people, we look at this world that we live in that needs to know Jesus. If we're born again, that should be the heartbeat of our life. And so John says, this is why I wrote this book. Now, when we get to the very beginning of it, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, let's read that. Would you stand this morning in the honor of God's word? Let's read these five verses. It says this, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Lord, I thank you as we begin to look at these, uh, this great book of yours that John wrote under your inspiration. Lord, I pray that we are changed by it. Lord, not just those that don't know you as Savior and Lord, but those of us that do. Lord, that we would never forget the importance of what is so clearly stated in these opening verses. That it would change the way we live. That we would have that life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
You may be seated. So if you're given the task of writing the, a book about Jesus Christ, how do you start it? Where do you begin? Matthew and, and Luke have a little bit of the birth account of, of Jesus and some of the things, you know, his, his human existence and how it started. They have genealogies and all of those things. Mark just jumps right into his ministry. He has a couple of introductory verses about John the Baptist, then he jumps right in. But John is different. John goes way back. He goes all the way back before creation. He goes back to the very foundations of the Trinity as they, in ways that we'll never understand, this created and talked about creating it. And he talks in here in these first five verses as he has to introduce who Jesus is. He goes right to the heart of it. He says, Jesus is God, Jesus is creator, and Jesus is savior. The first two verses, he talks about Jesus being God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That in the beginning, that was the word. It goes back before time. It's a, a durative imperfect, if that blesses your heart to know that. But it's sitting there taking a way of, of picturing, how do you talk about Jesus before time even began? To talk about him in such a way that it's, it's, it's different. In Greek, they can do that. In English, we just say, in the beginning was the word. But it's, it's, it's letting us know there's something unique about Jesus. He's not just a guy that was born and God gave him like a prophet or something. He's God. And it's hard for us to understand eternality. I mean, we have the little, you know, you take a ring and you've ever seen this. Well, it doesn't have a beginning and end, but we all go, yeah, it does somewhere. They started it and wrapped it around itself, you know, and it's, it's, it's just hard for us. It's like with little kids, every kid, if you've ever taught Sunday school or little children, somebody's going to ask you this, who made God? Has everybody been asked that question? What's the answer? No one. I mean, God doesn't need anyone to make him and kids kind of scratch their head and they're like, well, okay, I mean... But logically, it doesn't make sense. Things have beginning, but, it, but in the beginning, before what time was, before anything, there was the Word. Now, if you read through John chapter 1, it's clear, nobody doubts, when John says, in the beginning was the Word, this is hard to say, the Word, Word means Jesus, okay? It clearly states that. So, in the beginning was Jesus, the Logos. Now, why does John say that? Why doesn't he just say, in the beginning was Jesus? Well, the word logos, the Greek word there, to a Greek person and a Jewish person would have, they would have meaning to it. It would, it would have more of a, something that would explain something to them. To a Greek person, a non-Jewish person, when they hear logos, in that day and age, there was, it was almost as a defining force of the universe. It was a way of trying to explain a word you would use to, when you're talking about the meaning of things. My wife and I, we watch... We don't have cable. We watch Netflix and old shows on Netflix or Amazon Prime. And it's kind of a pain because you watch a show that may be off the air for 20 years. You can't talk to anybody about it because, like, what are you talking about? But, you know, we watch them. It's new to us. We've been watching this show, and it was called Numbers. I don't know if anybody ever watched Numbers. I see a few heads nogging. So about a kid, for those of you who don't know, it's about a guy who's a math genius, and, and he solved crimes for the FBI. That was his thing. And he had a guy he worked with, a guy named Larry, who was also very, very smart at math. And pretty much the entire series that this ran, this guy Larry, he, he was consumed with the theory of everything. He was a math guy, and he wanted to just figure out, and this is an actual real thing, people trying to, to discover this, this formula that would just explain why everything is here, why things exist to the way that they are. At the heart of that is something that we see in Ecclesiastes. It's, it's eternity is put on the heart of man. People, they seek that out. 
And John is saying, in the beginning was the word, in the, it was Jesus. He is the Logos. You want the formula? You want to know why? That's why. To the Jewish person, the word logos, the word word, had a connotation in the Old Testament of, of God and his voice and his speaking. Jesus, or God's voice was so intimately tied with who he was. God spoke the universe into existence. God spoke to Abraham and gave him the covenant. God spoke the law to the Jewish people. God spoke to his prophets. It was so connected. And so the Jewish person would hear logos and they would see that as well. That quite clearly John is saying, Jesus is God. And then in the next phrase, it says, and the word was with God. So right after he says he's God, he says, but now he's with him, which kind of blows your mind. He is God, and he's also with him. And in our language, it just says he's with God, but the way that the prepositions work, he's face-to-face with God. It's a communal relationship. It reminds us of what we see in, in Genesis chapter 1, when it says God is creating, and he says, let us make man in our image. It's quite clearly plural. We begin to see that that. Jesus is part of God in a way that you can't really explain. It's the Trinity. We don't see the Holy Spirit. He'll he'll appear later. But that Jesus was with God before time. They were dependent on each other and independent of each other. it's, It's the way the Bible describes God to us. And then the last phrase of verse one, the word was God. Just there we go. We just state it right out. Now this phrase has been beaten up by various heretical groups by saying that Jesus was a God or a lesser God. There's even versions of the Bible, the Jehovah's Witnesses are big on this, that translate it that way. And they say that because in Greek, the word God there at the end of of, of verse 1 doesn't have an article. And the reason is because that's the way you make it the predicate and not the subject. And once again, I'm blessing your heart with some Greek here. But there's six other times, I think, in chapter 1 where it's, it's worded this way and you say, ah, what, what difference does it make? Well, it's a big difference, isn't it? There's a difference between Jesus just being a God or some lesser God and Jesus being God. And John wants us to know he is. Verse 2 just brings it all together. He was in the beginning with God. There has been stated when you go, there's two books of the Bible that begin with the phrase in the beginning, John and Genesis. And it's been stated that if you read Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 where it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you believe that, the rest of the Bible isn't all that hard to believe. And there's truth that if you believe what John states here in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. If you believe that about Jesus, it's not that much hard to believe everything else about Jesus. Jesus, John is saying, he's not some God of, of Roman and Greek nature, you know, when you read about Zeus and Apollo and all those others that did these, you know, they're good, bad, they fight each other, they're this and that. He is supreme, he's above all. And he's also not saying he's just some man, some prophet, some guy that does some nice things and lives a, a good life, or, or some guy that's, you know, like a Jim Jones or a David Koresh that makes all sorts of crazy claims and dies off. John is saying he is God, he is man, he is everything about this world, this creation rests on him. pretty powerful way to start your book better than i could come up with jesus was a good guy you know i don't know where to start but john under the inspiration of the holy spirit lets us know this then in the next verse verse three jesus is creator all things were made through him 
And without him was not anything made that was made. So John states the same thing both positively, all things were made through him, and then in just in the negative form of it, and without him was not anything made that was made. Most of the time I would say a lot of people don't really think of Jesus as creator. Although we know the first verse, we think Jesus before things were made. But Jesus is there at creation and, and, and through him all things were made. So why does John bring this up in verse 3? Why is it important for us to understand Jesus as creator? Well, most of the, the scholars believe, as I said, John was probably written later towards the end of what we would call the first century. And there was a heresy, a false teaching that was beginning to make its way into Christianity, into the world, called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is still a little bit around today, as you're going to see in just a second. But this, what Gnosticism tried to deal with was how do you deal with good and evil? So what they did is on the spirit world, the spirit world was good. And the physical world, matter, material, was bad. And they couldn't have anything to do with each other. And so the spirit world, that's, where, that's God. He's spirit. And from God, he would create emanations from himself, other layers of spirits. And as those layers got further and further away from God, they knew less and less about God till there came an emanation or a spirit from God that didn't know anything about him and started to actually be hostile towards God and eventually created the, the material world. Okay, did you get all that? You know, that's... that's. And the, 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 one of the practical effects of this belief, and if you read through some of the, the, the letters that Paul writes, you can see it kind of forming, is that there was this division between the spirit and the physical. And that people started to believe that you could do whatever you want with your physical body, as long as your spiritual self was okay. You, you can engage in all sorts of sinful activities and behaviors, and that was because the body was eventually going to be destroyed anyway. And there's more to it than that, but there was that, that began to, to form. And you can see bits and pieces of that in the way people function today. You know, I, 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 I can regurgitate the truth facts about what the Bible says, but I live my life however I feel like I want to live my life. I mean, there's a lot of that in our culture today. But John, clearly in verse 3 here, states that's not the case, that all things were made through him, without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is God, he's spirit, and he created creation, the universe, everything that's in it. Now, there's, it's a sinful place now, sin has entered and it's damaged, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but Jesus created it. Why is this, though, that important? Well, there's two reasons. The first is this, is it... it ends the idea of what's called dualism. The idea that God and good and Satan and evil are both equal and they're fighting each other out and it's this cosmic battle to the end. We know this isn't the truth. Job chapter 1 teaches us this, that God is there and Satan amongst the other angels shows up and, and Satan can only do whatever God allows him to do. But sometimes when we see the way people live their life, they do live this idea that good and evil are in this epic battle. If you remember a few weeks ago when I was talking about home point, I showed that video. And there was a young girl up there, and she was talking about, you know, God's a good, good God, and he helps us out if he can. Whether she knows it or not, she's explaining the concept of dualism, that God, if he can do it, he'll help us out. But, you know, if he doesn't, he doesn't have the power, he's having a bad day or whatever, he's not. But No. God is, is over everything. That's, that's, that's a comforting thing and a, and a thing that makes us 
it's comforting. We know God is sovereign. He's in control. The world is never going to get out of his, his, his power. We don't have to worry that evil is going to win. But at the same point, when we go through difficult times, we also know that God's he could stop that. But he doesn't always do it. And I'm not going to give you the cookie cutter just, well, that's because that's a tough thing that we all have dealt with, haven't we? But because he is creator and, and God is overall, this, this is the second reason why this is important. It's, it's creation is redeemable. That Jesus Christ is in heaven. We read this in Philippians chapter 2. And came down to the earth, took the form of a, a human, took the form of a servant, took the form of a slave to die for this world. To die to redeem this world. To save this world. To show that this is... What we are to do, we're not to die and save the world, but live as this world is redeemable, to share the gospel, to say Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And sometimes, if we're honest, this world can be depressing, can it? It doesn't always seem redeemable. Just this week, you know, there's been this rash of states passing laws saying that if a baby survives an abortion, what do you do? And is it okay to just kill a baby? And so they had a, 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 basically it was a token thing in the Senate saying it's called the Born Alive Bill. That would just simply state that a doctor, if a baby survives an abortion, would have to try and save the child's life. And it didn't pass. And I, I, I hear those types of things and say, really? But the truth is, I mean, the same baby a few minutes before in the mother's womb would be fine in all 50 states to kill. And I read about sex trafficking. I read, about, I listened to what we heard last week in China with people just, if a guy's between a certain age, that's enough to be hauled off to a concentration camp. I read about people that, Christians in other countries that, you know, they just share the gospel with somebody and they're thrown in prison for 10, 20, 30, 40 years I see a world in which there seems like every day there's just worse news upon worse news. And you say, as some leader, this is the world that he made into a world like this. You can do it because Jesus Christ is the creator. This is the world that he made, and he came to save it. And there is a future and a hope, and we have the message. John says this right here. He was in the beginning with God. He made everything. Everything that exists was made through him. That's why in verses Four and five, he brings in the final point. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is God. He's creator. Now he's Savior. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. In him was life. If you remember the, the theme verse that John gave us in John chapter 20. He said, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's how he tells it in John 20. He introduces it here. In him was life. It's interesting to think that if you go back to the very beginning of this, Jesus is self-sustaining, God is self-sustaining. That question kids ask, who made God? Nobody. He doesn't need anything to exist. He exists independent of all things. That's where life is. Creation is 100% dependent on God. He holds it up. 
You can't understand this world without understanding God and Christ. So in him was life, and then he says that life was the light of men. Along with life, John uses the word light a lot of times. He also uses shepherd. We'll get to that when we get there. But he uses light a lot to talk about who Jesus is. It's kind of give us a comparison. And light's interesting, isn't it? You know, light is, you know, darkness is just the absence of light. We know that. You know, you go into a dark room, you, you turn on the what switch. The light switch. You don't go into a room and turn on the dark switch. You know, there is nothing that darkens things. It's just darkness is the absence of light. And so, you know, John uses that comparison. He was the light of men. That, that he, he comes into men. He, he lightens us up so that we shine. It's what Jesus talked about in Matthew in, in, in his uh, Sermon on the Mount. Let your what? So shine before men that they may see your good works. Let your light so shine before men that that light is there in our lives. Our, the, Jesus is life, and that life was the light of men. It shines out. It changes us. Jesus Christ changes us. When I was a kid, I watched Popeye. Does anybody know? I mean, the kids are all gone, so they don't. They're gone. But the remember Popeye, the sailor man. Do, 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 do. He had the big giant forms, but he always get beat up. I was a Brutus until he did what? Grab the can of spinach. He would squeeze it and. You know, then he could do anything. The spinach, when he had the spinach. Now, I know it's kind of a childlike comparison, but the light of Christ in our lives should change us. It should change our approach to this world. It should, we, you know, when all those things I just shared about this kind of depressing, seemingly irredeemable world. All of the terrible things, but we look at it with the light of Christ in our life and we say, we boldly go into this world that seems so dark and, and, and sick to attack, to be on the offensive. Jesus said the gates of hell will not stand against us because of who he is. So that's why in verse 5, that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The word overcome is interesting. I don't know what... I use the English Standard Version. Occasionally people ask me what version I use because they want to follow along a little easier. But different versions out there. And this word is translated a lot of different ways depending on what Bible you have. Didn't understand it, comprehend it, overcome it, overtake it. And as you can imagine, there are a lot of scholars that have written lengthy books about this one word because there's different ways of what does it mean. When I think of this and I look, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness can't overtake light. Darkness is the absence of light. But when I look at our world and, and I look at evil, you know, when Paul says our, our, our fight is not, is not against flesh and blood, but against the spirits and the principalities of this age, there is evil, there is darkness in this world, there is sin in this world. And sin at every turn has tried to stop God. If you go into the Garden of Eden with, with, with Satan and tempting Eve and then trying to, to wipe out God's people with Pharaoh when he tried to you know, throw all of the babies and, and kill them all. Throughout the captivity when they, the, with all but two of the tribes were already destroyed and the last two were hauled off to Babylon. It looked as if the Jews may be dispersed, God's chosen people. All the way up to the New Testament with Christ, the Son of God. And evil knew who he was, knew that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they got to the point where he was nailed to a cross. In the song we just sang, they said that evil had won. Darkness 
couldn't overcome, couldn't understand that the very thing they thought would defeat God, killing his son, was actually the thing that signed their death warrant. When Jesus said, it is finished, it's not, my life is finished and I'm over, it's it's over, it's, I've won. So John begins his gospel this way. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, without him was not anything made that is made. In him was life, and life was the light of men, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As I read that this week, and I've read this, I can't tell you how many times in my life, I was deeply reminded that my eternity exists on whether or not, my eternity is shaped by how I believe this. It's not about how good I am or how, you know, do I do the right things? And Do I believe Jesus is God, he's the creator, he's my savior? And as a pastor, sometimes you get up here and you preach to people you see every week, week in and week out. You talk to them, but I'm not under any illusions that there's not some folks in this room that don't really believe this. That we need to look at our lives day in and day out and say, can I show you the examples from my life that this is what pushes me on, that transforms me, that he's the light in me. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment before I dismiss this here. I want you to take just like I did for a little bit this week. Just think about Jesus as God, Jesus as creator, Jesus as savior. And I want you to just as you, you just meditate for just a few moments here with God. Do you really believe that? And there are moments in all of our lives where we say, yes, I do. But the past couple of days, weeks, maybe even a couple of months, I haven't really lived like I do believe it. And I want you, if that's you this morning, to just spend a few moments confessing and saying, Lord, forgive me for that. Forgive me for allowing so many other little pointless priorities take precedence over you as the Savior of my life, the Lord of my life. Ask his forgiveness and ask him to give you a a renewed strength to be on mission with him. And then finally, if there are others in this room that say, you know what, I, I don't know if I believe that. I may have sat in church for years, but I don't really know if I've ever truly put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my as God, as Savior. I would ask you this morning, and I dismiss here in a few moments, I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed, that you make an effort to get to talk to me, one of the elders, Jeff, Bill, Dave. And uh, we'd love to talk to you more about that. But John went right to the jugular when he opened his book. There were no ifs, ands, or buts about who Jesus Christ is. And my prayer is that we know that this morning. Jesus, I thank you for these words. I thank you for the great reminder they are to me. Lord, I, I, it's easy to let so many little priorities that don't really mean much take up our time. We get worried about money and health and politics and all of these other things, Lord. And we fail to see the world through the eyes of your kingdom too often. 
Lord, that this is your world. You came and you died on a cross to save those that would believe in your name. And so, Lord, I pray that we know that our only hope in this world, the only hope for this world, is the great gospel that you gave us. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.